This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game oh Acadiana, don't you dare be sour we got the power that you've been looking for with Under the Dome with CD, and welcome to another brand new edition of the show. After a week off because of Hurricane Delta, LSU-Mizzou, well, I was going to be off for that anyways, because LSU decided to move up the contest because of Hurricane Delta kind of bearing down on us, 11 a.m. kickoff, and they definitely weren't up for an 11 a.m. kickoff when it comes right down to it, but we'll talk about LSU and the Cajuns and so much more a little bit later. Of course, you're listening under the dome with CD. Yours truly here inside the palatial 1037 The Game Studios. Hopefully, you have a great one so far. And more importantly, appreciate you listening and however you're doing so, be it through the absolutely free 1037 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com, through the old laptop or PC, however you do so. And also through your smart speakers because we got all kinds of different things. It's 2020 about how we can handle things. We've got these smart devices, smart phones, smart homes, smart house. Remember that show on Disney back in the day? Anyways, I digress. Thank you for listening in. However you're doing so, especially if you're listening in through Alexa, Google Home, tons of different ways. I'm not going to say how to do it. I think you know how to kind of run things because if I say it, odds are I'll probably trigger it. I know anytime I say, hey, Google, my phone completely goes haywire. And ironically, the one time I do this on the air, it decides not to hear me. Listen to me, phone. Anyways, that's besides the point. It's a great Saturday afternoon. It is beautiful outside. The weather feels like fall. It's a damn good time to be in Acadiana right about now. Now, yeah, it's like obviously you got the cages and the tigers struggling or coming off of losses, I should say, when it comes to the Cajuns, because all they're three and one. That's pretty damn good, all things considered. LSU one and two, the Saints three and two, and we got a lot of things to kind of look at that team and try and figure out what the hell is going on there. But again, it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. It's October. It's starting to cool off a little bit. I get a little bit warmer later on today, but it is absolutely perfect for a Saturday filled. With great sports. Now, yeah, it's a relatively stress-free weekend. Thank goodness, because I think we can definitely go without, you know, one week without being stressed out beyond belief. Because, trust me, I think we've been through a lot of that, especially here in the Acadian area after Hurricane Delta hit especially hard over here. Because I, I was blown away by how bad it was over here. Now, mind you, it was definitely a lot worse in different parts of the Acadian area, but Lafayette got hit pretty darn hard, especially around here in Caracro. I know we were without power for quite a few days. Lights were out everywhere. Even over here, we were largely just on generator power. Thank goodness we were. 
because I think everybody was wanting to have the LSU-Mizzou game to be at least a temporary distraction. Even if you weren't able to have power, you'd be able to listen to it on the radio. You'd be able to listen to the LSU Tigers. Maybe try and put a smile on your face and beat Mizzou. That wasn't the case. But we'll get to that later. Now, we're going to get to what happened last night. It's time to do a little recap of what happened across the Acadia area. Trust me, there were some good ones. We start things off in Class 3-5A. Southside taking on the Acadiana High Wrecking Rams in the Wrecking Rams Wreck Shop, winning 48-7. Definitely a great start to the Wrecking Rams season, winning twice in one week. That's pretty damn good. Then you have New Iberia, the Barry, representing, hosting Donaldsonville, and the Barry gets it done, 27-18. to Then you have... Jennings hosting Eunice, and Jennings beats Eunice 35-14. Dutchtown hosting the Rain Wolves, and the Wolf Pack was largely neutered in this contest with Dutchtown winning 62-14. to Ouch. Looking at Class 5-4-A, you heard it here on 103.7, the game. An absolute barn burner if there ever was one. Walker Howard throwing for damn near 400 yards. And then his tag team partner, his Road Warrior animal to Road Warrior Hawk, Jack Besh, almost 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns to boot. What was that, 10 receptions? He's going to be one hell of a player for Vanderbilt. 39-38, St. Thomas Moore gets the win. St. Martinville traveled over to the open air Crodome. And those Golden Bears, 3-0, baby, beating St. Martinville 53 to nothing. After the, what they did to open up the season against West Monroe, they look legit. Too legit to quit, in fact. Then you got Northside, Bo Shane. Northside gets a 7-0 win over Bo Shane. Westgate at Denham Springs. Westgate gets the win on the road, 43-7 over Denham Springs. St. Helena traveled to Livonia and came away with a Dubsky, 32-12 over Livonia. Northwest traveled to Cecilia and got sent home packing in a big way with Cecilia rolling with a 56-7 win. Live Oak shuts out Opelousa 16-0, and the run game for Turtlings Catholic comes back in a big way with a 34-14 win over Bro Bridge in District 6-4A. Also, that's a 5-4A team. When you look at those Turlings Rebels. Then you have St. Louis Catholic travel to Church Point, and Church Point got it done 37-27. Final score. Then you have another matchup, Mamu at Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart shuts out Mamu 44 to nothing. What? Then you have St. Edmund at Ville Platte 54 to nothing. Port Berry travel to Pine Prairie and came away with a road win and a shutout of that 36 to nothing. Shut them down. Vermilion Catholic. Traveled over to Erath, and you heard that on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. The Vermilion Parish Game of the Week, and it definitely lived up to the expectations. Vermilion Catholic shuts out Erath, 47-0. And then Coach Louis Cooks, Notre Dame of Acadia, Parish Pios, get it done against Kaplan with a 35-6 win over those Pirates. And then you also had 
couple other matchups. Lafayette Christian at Evangel, or excuse me, Evangel made the trip over to Upper Lafayette to take on Lafayette Christian. 51 to nothing that night. Train keeps on rolling. Sage Ryan, a big highlight for that team. Then we have Vanderbilt Catholic at Welsh. 35-3. Vanderbilt Catholic gets the win. West St. Mary shuts out Generette. 14 nil. Excuse me, 14 nothing. We're not talking about soccer here. We're talking about footy, footy, football, the real deal. Then you have Ascension Episcopal beating Catholic High New Iberia 28 to 14. The post Brent Indes area kind of have a little bit of a struggle early on this season. Franklin beats Delcom 38 to 19. Lauraville shuts out Homa Christian 55 to nothing. And we got to wrap things up with a couple more scores here. Hanson Memorial beats Thrive Academy 44-12. Centerville beats St. Martin's Episcopal 21-19. Westminster Christian beats Highland Baptist 42-35. And St. John beats Covenant Christian 32-18. That kind of wraps things up when it comes to week numero tres, week number three, in terms of what's going on involving the Acadian area with high school football. It's in the books, and it was a pretty damn good performance for St. Thomas Moore. I'll give you some rapid-fire takeaways real quick when it comes to the local teams, especially some of the big highlights, I would say. And one of those, Jack Besh and Walker Howard continue to be, I brought them up earlier, the Road Warriors, Murtaugh and Riggs. Riggs and Murtaugh, I should say. That's how they build it. Leave the weapon, baby. This tag team, Walker Howard, Jack Besh, is absolutely probably the best Quarterback wide receiver tag team I've ever seen in high school sports. The best quarterback wide receiver duo I've ever seen. Howard throws for almost 400 yards. Besh racks up nine catches for nearly 200 yards. Tell me. You can call me up on the Twin Peaks hotline, 337-706-0111. And give me your thoughts on that take right there. Jack Besh, Walker Howard, the best quarterback wide receiver in high school sports in the history of of the state of Louisiana, or just the Acadian area. Let's go with the Acadian area specifically, because, again, I don't have a true like history book. I'm not Kevin Foote. I'm not a guy like that who probably has an, a virtual encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to high school football in the Acadian area. He can probably rattle off a few, but I think this one might be on another level. And then you have Acadiana establishing dominance for the second time this week. They beat John Curtis on short notice on Sunday afternoon and then turned around and beat up Southside on Friday. It's impressive to see what they're doing right now. Acadiana looking to become a back-to-back state champs. They are the reigning, defending, undisputed state champs in Class 5A, and they're continuing to really assert themselves as the class of Class 5A. Then you have Karen Crow. They are absolutely on another level this year with a shutout win over St. Martinville. Should have realized that when they beat West Monroe back in week one, but for what it's worth, I knew this team was going to be something special after last season. But I think now that you have all these pieces together, it feels like Thanos get the final piece of the Infinity Gauntlet, and now Karen Crow is getting ready to run rough shot. Now it's going to be fun when we see Karen Crow St. Thomas Moore play each other a little bit further down the road to see who comes away with the big win. And who could wind up holding that 5-4-A district crown? Because that can mean a lot in terms of power ratings for both St. Thomas Moore and the Carragher Golden Bears. But, of course, there's some other games going on today, including Lafayette High at Sulphur. You'll hear that on the Rewind, 97.7 FM, kickoff at 3 o'clock. 
pregame 245, so make sure you check that out. Of course, North Vermilion at Iota. Marksville at Crowley. Pickering at Lake Arthur are some of your other notable Saturday games. So we still got some high school football going on, obviously, with this pandemic and you know referee shortages in some cases, and obviously with Hurricane Delta, the aftermath of that, some people still don't have power. And that's a big thing that's going to cause some of these games to get pushed back to Saturday so they can have it Saturday afternoon because they've got to get them in by like Sunday, I think, at like 7 or something along those lines for it to count towards that particular week. That was kind of the situation that Acadiana High was in after Hurricane Delta having to schedule a game against John Curtis after the game last week was canceled because they were playing a Vermilion Parish team and they decided we're not going to play. But that's a different conversation for a different day. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we'll get to some Cajuns and LSU talk. Also, we've got two guests on the program today. The first one is a newcomer at 1130, Matt Thomas, Sports Talk 790. We're going to talk about Game 7, the two greatest words in all of sports, and it involves the Houston Astros. Yes, those cheaters that you all love to hate. They are one step closer to making it back to the World Series for a second straight year. Tell me. You don't love that. You love it. You love it. At least I do. Then at 1230, we're going to have Ross Jackson aboard the program. Talk a little New Orleans Saints. But once we come back, we're going to talk about Cajuns, LSU, and the concern level for both of those programs next. Right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037, the game. There's going to be lots of things that we can learn. And sometimes it takes a game like this to really right the ship. Let's talk about uh, the years at Bama that we won the national championship. We always got beat. You know, at some point in the first half of the season, we would lose a game, uh, and that really uh, caused us to make the necessary adjustments. John Emory deserves more reps. Uh, Kevin Falk is doing a great job coaching our running backs. I let the guys manage their position. He felt that, you know, Chris Curry came back from an injury, that he was healthy and ready to go, and he felt that he would be the first in the rotation. So that's what happened. But you know what? Uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty. We should have got job more reps. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Going to have on Matt Thomas a Sports Talk 790 in just about 10 minutes. Give or take a couple because obviously we've got a commercial break. And maybe I'll ramble on a little bit more. But more importantly, we might get a call from you. 337-706-0111 is how to get in on the Twin Peaks hotline. 337-706-0111. If you want to chat up about a lot of different things, including what happened on Wednesday night, you heard Billy Napier coming out of that break about the Cajuns' loss to Coastal Carolina. They dropped the three and one, the twenty-first ranked Louisiana Raging Cajuns aren't going to be ranked no more after tomorrow's polls come out. More likely than not, barring anything completely out of the ordinary, I'd say Coastal Carolina is going to be ranked, and they definitely deserve it. And this is something I've always thought about on a regular basis when I look at the Cajuns. And especially this year, just as a strong case study. Look at what the Cajuns have done throughout this season. Yes, they got that season-opening big win 
over Iowa State on national television, 11 a.m., one of the first games of this 2020 season. Don't kind of consider that Central Arkansas game at the beginning of the year, that that FCS contest, to be the true kickstart. But the first Saturday when you had more than one college football game going on, that's what you got. Cajuns get that big win over Iowa State. Then you have the next few games against the Georgia teams, Georgia State in Atlanta, and then Georgia Southern for the the one where you had your boy Nate Steiner kick a 50-plus yard field goal for the win. And I'm going to go ahead and deviate from that from this story for a second. I want to break this news. Nick Saban has been medically cleared to coach tonight versus Georgia. This is coming from Barrett Salee of CBSSports.com, CBS Sports HQ, a great writer and a friend of the station. In fact, he follows me on Twitter. I can, I keep forgetting that he follows me on Twitter. It's a big flex for you on this Saturday morning. But going back to what I was saying with the Cajuns, the Cajuns always seem to struggle under the bright lights of the four-letter network on Wednesday nights. Every time they play App State, they struggle mightily to get things done. This was an opportunity not just to show, hey, you know, we're – going to continue to be undefeated, and we're going to beat the class of the Sun Belt Conference. This is a team, when you look at the Cajuns, they were set up perfectly to be able to go on an incredible run this year. The way they started the season, beating Iowa State was the biggest moment in program history, in my mind. Now, yes, you could say Texas A&M doing it at home against Texas A&M back in 96. I was there. But I think when you look at the Cajuns, this was a more important win because it set up Billy Napier as probably one of the best coaches in program history because he's been able to win at a consistent clip compared to Texas A&M where you won late. You won running away against Iowa State. But I'll deviate from that for a moment because we got a call on the Twin Peaks hotline, 337-706-0111. If you want to get your shots up, let's get to it. Hey, you're on under the dome, under the dome with CD. Yeah, hey man, uh, good morning. Beautiful day today. It uh, is perfect, to, by uh, the way, outside. Yeah, man, and and great day for football. I'm gonna kind of touch on a couple things that has a little bit to do about everything you're talking about uh, here at the beginning of the show. Is um, you know I'm I'm sitting here I'm fixing to uh, follow the Lafayette High team to Sulphur for a football game. Um, you know uh, something that a lot of people that I just found out. You know you were speaking of uh, Nick Saban a second ago. And um, Coach Fig, the new coach over here at um, at Lafayette High, actually played under um, Nick Saban at the uh, Cleveland Browns, and he knows him quite well. It was uh, uh, something that it was a little story that I didn't know anything about. I had a little conversation with him, so pretty neat deal. He has a pretty good relationship with the guy. So uh, I got a little intertwining something going on right there with Nick Saban and uh, Coach Figaro and the Lions are, are headed to uh, Salford for a little Saturday afternoon game. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, you were speaking about, um, you know, Napier and, uh, and and UL. You know, I want to send a big congratulations out. It's, uh, you know, well-deserved. Uh, Alfred Payton was the only guy that went into the Hall of Fame uh, last night. It was a kind of a private ceremony, kind of under the radar. And, man, um been connected with uh, Alfred for a while, and what a great guy. It's a you know, well-deserved deal. And I just wanted to uh, throw those couple of things out there, maybe give you a little something to talk about while I ride in the car to go uh, 
beat those tours. You know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. I appreciate it, man, for for calling it before you make the trip up to uh, Sulphur for that big contest. Lafayette High. All right, you brought up Coach Fig, and obviously Cedric Figueroa in his first year as a head coach of the, the Mighty Lions, going back to his old stomping grounds. What can you say about him and what he's been able to like bring to this program? Because obviously they're undefeated to start the year, and they're getting ready to try and go to, to 3-0 and on the year in a very tough District 3-5A. What can you say about what's going on with those Mighty Lions right now? Well, you know, um, it, 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 right now it's uh, exactly uh, as the, the script was written. Uh, you know, everybody pretty much um, thought because of, uh, you know, Fig's background that the defense would lead the way, and that's kind of the way it's been. Um, you know, fortunately, the program has a, a, a now three-year guy um, under center on the offensive side, so the inexperience on the line is at least they have a guy um, that, that that's a quarterback that's kind of leading them, that has a lot of leadership and a lot of experience, which is allowing that offense to come along uh, at a good pace. And the defense is, is, as you can see, they're not allowing very many uh, yards, not allowing very many uh, points on the board. And being around the program a lot, you know, you can definitely see that there is an accountability when these boys, uh, you know, they, they, they're disciplined, they're playing without penalties, or with minimal penalties and definitely not anything that's uh, that's changing momentums and gains, which is something that was kind of an Achilles heel in the past. And that's all coming, uh, I believe, directly from the top. It's a trickle-down effect. You know, the defense is good. The offense is coming along and, you know, disciplined. And, that, that you know, that, as you know, in uh, prep, any kind of prep sports, discipline is just the name of the game, you know. I appreciate you calling in, man. You know, you call it more often. Anytime, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, the timing was right. You know, I'm uh, fixing to get on the road to go uh, check these Lions out, and, um, and, and and I appreciate your show. And, uh, again, congratulations to my partner, EP, Alfred Payton, being a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. Alfred Payton, be safe on the road, by the way, as you're making your way up to Sulphur, Louisiana. Go take on, take on the Golden Tours and more importantly, come away with a big win. But you bring up Alfred Payton, and – Quick, quick, kind of reset on him because it's crazy how things kind of line up. And you bring up Alfred Payton. I never really got to see him play because I used because before I started in media, I worked in retail. I usually worked on like Saturdays, like midweek when the Cages would be playing at the Cages. So I never got to see, truly see him in action. But I've been able to talk to him and actually, I actually met him a couple a few years ago. But anyways, so. He brings up Alfred Payton. It reminds me of the time, and this is probably one of the big reasons why I'm, I got a job here, I would say, at least I think so, is that while I was interning here in 2014, that's when Alfred Payton got drafted to the Orlando Magic. Well, he was drafted originally by the Sixers and traded to the Magic. That's how it went. He was drafted a lot earlier than by the 76ers, and then they sent him on down to Orlando. That's how the trade went down. I, I just completely remember that off of memory. So when it comes down to it, it was cool because like the next morning I was having to be on and producing sports chat a show that doesn't exist anymore. Shows how much so it shows how long I've been here. It's been over, been here for over six years, and they still haven't kicked me out the door yet. <laughs> Anyways, so we were getting ready for the show and we were trying to figure out what we're going to do, trying to get somebody on to talk about the drafting of Alfred Payton. Luckily, I was able to kind of hit up a guest. It was Dante Marcantelli. I was hitting up a couple other people as well, just sliding in the DMs to get somebody on. I was able to get this guy to come aboard, and we talked about it. It was really awesome just to be able to like 
that was the first opportunity I ever had to truly book a guest. And that was awesome. Then later in the day that we had Alfred Payton on the station and I know Ben had him on for his second interview ever on Pumper to Pumper Sports, which I produced that first episode and producing it five years later, which is really cool. And I'm blessed to be able to continue to do this to this day. But just awesome stuff. Remind me of Alfred Payton and make me kind of forget about the fact that the Cajuns did lose on Wednesday night to Coastal Carolina, largely because they always kind of shrink under the bright lights of primetime television. Meanwhile, the LSU Tigers, they're just shrinking in general. When it comes down to it, it's the defensive side of the football where they are absolutely struggling. I think it's obvious. And people want to say, oh, hey, you know, you got Miles Brennan. He's not he's not doing enough. He's not good enough. I'm like, that's a, lo- that's a bold-faced lie is what you're telling me right now because there's no way you can tell me that Miles Brennan, who is doing a damn good job, couldn't win games with LSU's offense from last year. LSU's defense, I should say. If you had the current offense you had now and the current and the defense from last year, then he wouldn't wind up winning like nine, ten games. Tell me that wouldn't happen. I think that's the biggest reason why LSU's struggling. It's your defense, and a lot of it does fall on Bo Pelini. Don't get me wrong. But I also think a good chunk of it should fall on the fact that you just don't have a whole lot of guys that are absolute monsters, especially the second level. The second level has been the biggest like disappointment of it all. I think we kind of took for granted guys like Jacob Phillips being in that front seven. It's something I've always noticed, especially, and I'm going back in my mind, to the Melvin Smith days of the Cajuns. Because I remember seeing that defense, and that defense allowed like almost 70 points against Boise State. Boise State just ran up and down the field and tore you apart limb by limb. That's what I saw from this LSU defense. And one of the big keys was the fact that the second level was not that good with the Cajuns in the Melvin Smith days. They've gotten a lot better at the second level, and they are a damn good defense. This is not a good defense. Mind you, the SEC has now become like the Big 12, the way they perform. And it's absolutely, a lot of it is on Bo Pelini. I think he is a Vince McMahon type, out of touch and not completely understanding how the game works in 2020. It worked back in the gap, back in those early aught decade, but it's not going to work in 2020 with the talent that you have. Jabril Cox is a godsend. Ali Gay is probably the breakout star of this LSU defense Derek Stingley Jr. is not being the Derek Stingley Jr. we saw him in his freshman year where he looked like an absolute legend. They were probably going to retire his jersey before long. Nope. It is Derek Stingley Jr. showing what he could have looked like as a freshman in his sophomore year. That's not great. It's more of a regression rather than a progression. Hopefully we get to see him really elevate his game after this week off, which came at the perfect time. Because if you were going to be without Miles Brennan, and you had this putrid defense, I was going to say this game was going to be 60-70 points Florida was going to put up because Florida's offense is on another level. Kyle Pitts is the it has that it factor. He is so damn good. he probably destroy you. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program because it's some college football talk to get to. But we got to get over to the Twin Peaks hotline. In just a few minutes, we're going to talk to Matt Thomas of Sports Talk 790 about 
the, the two sweetest words in all baseball and all sports. Game seven. Next, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. Even in these trying times, the world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Ground ball left side to his left. Correa a second for one. Altuve on the first in time, and that is the ball game. There will be a game seven. You know, this team will battle back, you know, big time. And, uh, you know, you got to love this team. Or some people hate this team, but, I mean, you at least got to respect this team. You certainly have to at least respect this team. Dusty Baker telling it like it is. And now we get the two sweetest words in all of sports, especially when it comes to baseball. Game 7 tonight. Astros taking on those Tampa Bay Rays. Trying to get to the World Series for the second straight season. And we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more with our next guest. He's aboard the Twin Peaks Hotline. He is the host of the Matt Thomas Show on Sports Talk 790 from 12 to 3. Also does a lot of other stuff. Wears a lot of hats. Kind of like yours truly. But Matt Thomas aboard those the Twin Peaks Hotline. Matt, how's it going? Good. I got a question. Uh, since I'm on the Twin Peaks hotline, do I get a Twin Peaks gift card for being guest on your show today? I do. We do not actually. <laughs> I think that's something we need to try and do. Because you know what? If I was uh, to get those gift cards on a semi-regular basis, I could be like your co-host if you wanted me to. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, man. But you know, Matt. Obviously, you also do a lot of stuff with the University of Houston Cougars with the pregame. How wild was that game last night with? In BYU, that was that was just nuts to see. First of all, I'm I'm very much against 8:40 p.m. Central Time starts. <laughs> I don't think I left the stadium until, gosh, uh, one o'clock in the morning, maybe one fifteen. Uh, it was a terrible start, a fantastic second quarter, and then a really lousy finish. BYU just put it on our my Cougs big time in the fourth quarter. Uh, Houston made a lot of mistakes. Special teams was one of them. Uh, and then BYU has got a prolific passing game, something they haven't had in a long time, frankly. And uh, they won't get a lot of national recognition because the rest of their schedule this way is garbage, to be brutally honest with you. But they're a really good football team, and uh, I give them plenty of props for knocking off my Cougars yesterday. Yeah, it was wild. I want like getting some tweets because we basically were talking about it on the air yesterday, and I was saying you know BYU probably going to get the win over Houston, and I was getting some people saying, hey, like, what are y'all talking about the Cougars for? And it was in the third quarter. I'm like, okay, well done. Y'all are actually in control of this game. Then they wound up blowing the lead not long after that. And he's like, the guy who tweeted was like, yeah, I, I regret sitting this one. Yeah, it was just, uh, as as I worked sidelines yesterday, uh, Dana Holgers told me quickly after the game, we just put, didn't play very smart. You just can't make that kind of those kind of mistakes in terms of defensive coverage, penalties, Special teams, uh, you had uh, just special teams. Really, was just awful yesterday, and uh, you know, and Dana just wasn't pulling any punches about how he wants his team to be smarter. And when you're beating a team like or trying to beat a team like BYU, who's going to who's experienced, got a great quarterback, 
lots of receivers, and a really big physical front line. You just can't make some of the mistakes the Cougars made yesterday. And I think when they look back at the tape, they're going to be like, oh, goodness, how do we allow that to happen to ourselves? All right, now let's get to the topic at hand. It is Game 7 for the Houston Astros. And I think at the beginning of this month, we did not see this coming. Like The fact that the Astros are one win away from making it back to the World Series for the second straight year without Justin Verlander, without Jordan Alvarez, and the bats for much of the end of the season just weren't there at all. How, how surprised are you about this team on the cusp of doing something really amazing? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I put it at about a 14. Uh, <laughs> you got to realize, 29 and 31, they lit their way into the playoffs uh, with the second-best record in the American League West. I mean, if even if you would have gone to expand the playoffs to a couple of more teams, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, Seattle and Anaheim actually, frankly, played better than the Astros in the last two weeks of the season, but the Astros had such, such a cushion it didn't matter. So they were one of the worst teams in baseball on the road this year, and granted, small sample size, but they go to Minnesota where they take on one of the best teams uh, in terms of record, and they beat them like a pulp two times. Okay, so then you beat the Twins. So then you're going to take on an Oakland team in Los Angeles who beats you seven times out of ten, and you beat them by putting up some you know, amazing offensive numbers in terms of home runs, runs scored against a really good Oakland team. And then you go to a less pitcher-friendly or a batter-friendly ballpark in San Diego, and that ballpark becomes not a launching pad, but the Astros' offense struggles early on in the first three games of the series, and you're kind of saying, all right, you know what, maybe this is just not going to be the way that you want it to end. And then all of a sudden there's just this quiet confidence that comes through. And the reason why I think people were not overly – I mean, they were discouraged being down 3 nothing. I think actually that would be the case. But the Astros were hitting the baseball. Two problems. You just weren't hitting a lot with runners in scoring position. Not a lot. None. And then you also had some of the best defense Tampa Bay has thrown at you in the first uh, handful of games. The defense is still there, but the holes are opening up for the Astros and confidence is building. And, oh, by the way, the starting pitching has been phenomenal so far. So, you got all that together, and I'm completely 100% stunned at where we are here with this Game 7 here today. But it's a good feeling because it's nice to have October baseball once again relevant here in Houston. Exactly. It's to have it relevant in Houston. I think add the fact that, you know, as an Astros fan, as somebody who, you know, you covered the Astros a lot on Sports Talk 790 out in H-Town, but you got to imagine it means so much more with the fact, and Dusty Baker said it coming out of the break, the amount of hate this team has been getting over the last several months. I mean, it's still going on. You have some cat out there with a megaphone pretty much shaming the entire Astros roster and then some. It's got to feel a certain way knowing the fact that they're the heels, they're embracing it, and it's kind of like yeah. they have a chance to really kind of flip the middle finger or, or double bird at the entire MLB fan base. You know, it's really an interesting conversation, and you can really take a variety of viewpoints on it. I mean, look, the Astros cheated, and they, you know, we know it. Obviously, Major League Baseball knows it because the Astros were overly forthcoming because they they were granted immunity, and so they gave it. If they wouldn't have done that, it would have been Major League Baseball's word against the Astros' word. And when you throw the players' union in there, because there have been so many players that would have said, why are you suspending me for this? I didn't do anything. It would have been a real messy situation. And they also knew that the moment this all came out, that Major League, Base- that Major League Baseball fans across America were going to hate them. 
And they haven't had their chance to really tell the Astros how much they hate them, except what they can do right now, because there's no fans in the stands, is go to social media. So that has happened over and over and over again. So instead of this dying down a little bit and just being grumpy and let your, you know, just say what you want to say, you've got all these little vigilante band groups that are like, this is the worst thing ever. And then you have some national media who are just, they refuse to understand that the, uh, the terms of what the information was received and how it was received and how immunity was given, they just forget about that too. And um, so you, you had all of that uh, to it. And then you had a team that had been beset by so many injuries. We're losing Burnlander, losing Roberto Osuna, losing Jordan Alvarez. And then all the free agents that left last season, it's kind of this, you and me against the world. And I know that's such a cliche and such a tired act when people say the only people that believe in us were us. I mean, I, I get that. But in this particular case, it might be a little more truthful than in other cases because there's just so many people in this country, and I don't blame them, that just hate the Houston Astros. But what you have to do in this particular situation, and maybe if I was doing a radio show in Denver or in Cleveland, I'd feel differently, is you have to treat this 2020 Astros team so much differently than even last year's team that went to Game 7 against the Nationals because it's just not the same baseball team. You've got a dozen pitchers that are that have saw their first playing time as a Major League team this year alone. This is not your 2017 Astros. It certainly is an 18-19. It's in its own. Got great core players, but it's certainly a dramatically different team than it was three or four years ago. Talk right now with Matt Thomas, host of the Matt Thomas Show on Sports Talk 790. And when it comes down to it, I think we need to, like, I haven't sitting on this take for the last few days. Is Carlos Correa the new Mr. October? Uh, well, how could he not? I mean, he's tearing the cover off the ball, walk-off home runs, clutch hitting. His arm remains amazing at shortstop. You saw him take an even a bigger leadership role yesterday when the whole Fran Diaz situation came out there. Uh, there was a lot of question marks about his longevity here in Houston, especially because he'd been so injured for the last two or three years, and then last year suffering the rib injury with the massage, and that kind of being the butt of jokes about people all across the country and whether or not we actually really believed that, that was the case. But uh, he has taken on a new level of leadership, clutch, whatever you want to call him. You know, if he wants to be Mr. October here in Houston and let Reggie Jackson have the other 49 states, I'd be fine with that. I'd be more than okay with it, too. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, on on such short notice. We'll talk to you down the road, and hopefully Game 7 turns out to be a big old W. Call anytime. Take care now. All right, that was Matt Thomas. You can follow him on Twitter at SportsMT. Let me go ahead and fix that. Just had a little button pop off there. <laughs> this is what happens sometimes when you just basically – I've mentioned this before. This is kind of the weird part of how – I do this show versus Jordy and Ben. I produce both of those shows, in case you didn't know. I'm sure you do. But I run the board, and I also talk for like the entire duration. So it's like I've got to basically go over here, push a button to, turn, to hang up on the caller, move on, and sometimes things will just pop off. i got to go ahead and fix that right now, and but I've got it taken care of. But... I brought up something earlier in the last segment, and this just came out from the SEC, a statement on Alabama head coach Nick Saban. Quote, 
Upon being notified by the University of Alabama of, of a potential po- positive COVID-19 test result involving Nick Saban, there we go, the SEC office provided and reviewed with the university the COVID-19 management requirements established by the SEC's medical guidance task force and emphasized the need to comply with all local and state health policies. And it continues to say that consistent with the management requirements, PAE, the third-party provider secured by the SEC to standardize and provide testing for the 14 member institutions, has utilized authorized laboratory processing and reporting the three tests 24 hours apart as necessary to satisfy the requirement of the task force policy regarding the handling of asymptomatic PCR tests. And this is all related to Nick Saban, end quote. And apparently he has passed all three of those tests. They're all negative, so he can coach on the field tonight against Georgia. Heaven help the person that administered that COVID-19 test that was now, we know, a false positive. Heaven help the man or or woman, because you know Nick Saban right now is absolutely livid, and George is about to get their ass whooped tonight, bottom line. I said it a couple weeks ago, and I'm not an Alabama fan in any way. I, I would love to see Alabama just struggle this year or any year. But here's the thing. They lost two games last year. One to LSU for the first time in eight years. And then they lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl in disappointing fashion. Don't tell me Nick Saban isn't ready for the Saban revenge tour. He just absolutely wallops every single opponent by like a big margin and just shows why he is still the man, why he's still the face that runs the place in the SEC. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll come back with a whole lot more. You get some other college football talk because they got several games underway right now. Back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 103.7 The Game studios. Hopefully you enjoyed the interview with Matt Thomas. We'll have that up a little bit after the show wraps up. Because, again, I'm the only one here, so it's kind of hard to do all of the things. But guess what? i got enough time to kind of get to what's going on across the world of college football before we wrap up hour number one. A lot of 11 a.m. games getting underway as we speak. A lot of intrigue involved in a few of them. i get to some of the stuff in the SEC in a little bit. But, of course, number one ranked Clemson taking on Georgia Tech, winning 23-7 right now. And they are absolutely rolling. Looks like the score is going up again with a 24-7 win. Extra point was good after a Trevor Lawrence touchdown pass. Travis Etienne, a Heisman hopeful, six carries, 24 yards. Not bad for the Jennings native Travis Etienne. I know Trevor Etienne doing pretty good stuff over in the boot right now. Then Pitt taking on Miami. The Hurricanes getting it done, currently up 7-0 early in the second quarter. Then you have East Carolina Navy. Navy get up 7-6 early. South Al 
up in Mobile taking on those fighting Dave Schultz's. It's Texas State versus your boys. I got, I'm loving I'm loving this setup. Texas State, South Alabama, 10-7. The Jags are up. Temple beating South Florida 10-7. Liberty. Liberty Bibberty. What do you know? Hugh Freeze's crew, who are 4-0 right now, up 14-7 on Syracuse. Kansas, Sands Les Miles. Lance Miles just hanging out at the house because he is still recovering from COVID-19. He's tested negative. He's He'd be good to go, but he's just going to go ahead and stay his behind at home. They're up 10-7 right now over West Virginia. Looking around the SEC, Auburn beating South Carolina 9-7. South Carolina had just scored, so we'll see what happens there. That's currently a two-point ball game. Then you have Kentucky, Tennessee. Big surprise here, 14-0. Kentucky's up right now on the Wildcats, and they are driving midway through the second quarter there. So trust me, you're going to be seeing a lot of interesting matchups in the not-too-distant future. Old Miss, Arkansas, can Sam Pittman bounce back after a controversial loss to Auburn? Let's just put it that way. Texas A&M, Mississippi State, LSU, Florida, Vanderbilt, Mizzou, both postponed. The only other game worth watching, and I'd say the only game that's really, really good this week, is Georgia-Alabama 3 versus 2. Alabama currently 5.5-point spread, 5.5-point favorites, and then you have them have a 58.5-point O slash U over under but we'll go ahead and take a quick timeout wrapping up our number one in style let's make sure you keep it locked right here on 1037 the game got ross jackson coming on the program at 12 30 but trust me we got a lot to get to in hour number two and we'll start it off with a little bit of reset involving those houston astros because i've pretty much got a lot to get off my chest about those haters who are these haters well most everybody in the world of Major League Baseball. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume. Preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome everyone. Hour number two of two underway. And we got a great one for you as always. Before I get to the Saturday Sports Sermon, I was talking about Kentucky-Tennessee. And this may be a game that I think should be considered a fan favorite if you're a sadistic person. And I'll explain why momentarily, because it is just absolutely disgusting right now. Kentucky-Tennessee, Kentucky's up 14-0 early on. And maybe the single worst game 
of all time, at least through like one and a half quarters. And I'm going to go ahead and break down the drives for you. And they are they're, they're pretty bad. So basically you've had no offensive points right now. Here's how the game went down, at least through one and a half quarters. Kentucky opens up, three and out. Then you have an 11-play drive that only garners 32 yards for Tennessee. They punt. Then Kentucky fumbles in the fifth play of their drive, and they were only got 26 yards off of that. Then Tennessee fumbles six plays later. Then Kentucky has to punt after six plays. Six plays, nine yards, pretty nice drive. Then pick six, pick six by Kentucky's defense got three straight interceptions. Yes, you heard me right. Three straight interceptions for the Kentucky Wildcats defense. 2020 is a year weird world we're living in right now, and boy, oh boy, I do not want to be you know, Jerry Pruitt, who, by the way, is probably one of my least favorite head coaches because he is boring. Wait a minute. Okay. 17 to nothing now. You finally got somebody besides the defense put up points with the Kentucky Wildcats kicking a field goal, making it 17 nothing. And the stats are even more NSFW. Terry Wilson as we near the end of the first half. Five of six for 42 yards. Jarrett Garantano, 79 yards off of 10 passes. 79 yards off of 10 passes. They have like 120 total yards of offense versus Kentucky, who has 66 this is almost a punishment of having a football season. Yeah, we've had games like Vanderbilt, Mizzou, LSU, Florida get postponed. Now we sit here and we're watching this bag of crap at 11 a.m. And they had an easy touchdown, apparently. I've seen this from LSUfootball.net on Twitter. You can, by the way, that's a great follow if you're an LSU football fan in general. LSU football underscore net over on the Twitter. Saying they had an easy touchdown but dropped the ball and settles for three. Take a 17-0 lead over Tennessee. That's about what, all that's really going on that has my interest is Kentucky is beating Tennessee. Jimmy Pruitt, the most boring head coach, who pretty much rambled his way through his SEC media days in 2019. It was amazing to see what he was. It was stupefying to see what he pulled off. But still... Pretty darn crazy. But you know what's not crazy? What's going on with the Houston Astros right now? By the way, you'll hear Game 7 right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 the game. Pre-game at 7. First pitch at 7.37. All this time, I thought maybe we weren't, we weren't going to have sports on Acadiana Sports Station on Saturday. LSU got postponed. They were supposed to start pre-game at 1 o'clock. Originally 12.30. I was going to only have an hour and a half. I'm so glad I have two hours. I'm so glad I have two hours. But more importantly, I'm so glad the Houston Astros got the job done, secured the bag, and are now one win away from making it back to the World Series for the second straight year. And that leads me to today's Saturday Sports Sermon. 
The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testifies? It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. In pro wrestling, there are baby faces and there are heels. It's classic good guys versus bad guys. But they can go from role to role depending on the motivation. And, you know, that's called in the business a turn. For a while, the Astros were the internet darlings in the league, the baby faces. The fans loved the youth on this team. They had the best damn farm system for years to come. And they were billed as an up-and-comer to be a future contender in the MLB, a lot like those Atlanta Braves are now. But then came the accusations and the condemnation from the league because of the cheating scandal the subsequent fallout. All the baseball snobs wanted to turn their noses up and pretty much wanted to erase the Astros from the history books like the WWE did one Canadian professional wrestler who shall not be named on this program. And they wanted to suspend the players and pretty much erase the Astros from the history books and put in that big old asterisk on their World Series win back in 2017. In a matter of three years, this team went from the beloved baby faces, the darlings of the league, to the most hated group of heels since the NWO back in WCW. The turn has been pretty much telegraphed before the start of this shotgun season back in July. This all goes back to January, the day that LSU won the national championship. The news came out. A.J. Hinch and crew, they were suspended for a year. And then the Astros fired him. Got Dusty Baker to take over. The most likable person in all of sports. I think everybody still loves Dusty Baker. I'll read somebody who is anti-Astros. And by the way, I'll get to those in a little bit. But I am absolutely cheering the heel here. I'm a diehard Astros fan through and through. I remember going to the games of the Astrodome back when they were called Enron, back when they or now when they were at Minute Maid Park with Taos Hill still there. I'm still mad about Taos Hill no longer being there. I need to go back, though, because I, I miss going to Minute Maid. Then again, I miss sporting events in general. I haven't been to a stadium since, like, July. That was for the Cane Cutters. Different story. But there are people crying and complaining. Yes, they only got into the playoffs because of the expansion. Yes, they're below 500. But look at the playoff history in the MLB. A lot of teams were very close to 500. We're still making the playoffs. The NFL still has teams in the current construct they're in. Make the playoffs. And they're below 500. The NFC East is probably going to have a below 500 team. And you're bitching and moaning about the fact that the Astros... In an expanded playoff season that the MLB did just to set them up to get them in. This isn't Zion Williamson getting into the bubble. This was just a matter of construct. They got in. Yes, they were 500. Yes, they looked absolutely awful. I thought they shouldn't have made the playoffs. But lo and behold, they did. And they did some amazing things in the process. You beat the Minnesota Twins on the road. That never happens. Minnesota and the Astros has never been a good thing for them. You beat those crying and complaining Oakland A's without having to see Mike Fires, that absolute coward. But now we sit here. I was told when I was younger that when the postseason starts, you can throw the record books out of the window. Apparently, the populace of America hasn't heard that lesson, hasn't heard that statement before, because now we sit here. October 17, 2020, 
and a team that only had 20-some-odd wins is one win away from making the postseason's biggest stage, the World Series. Apparently, they weren't ready for that. Listen, at the end of the day, you've got to sit and stare at all. If it's shock and all, that's fine. But you got to sit there and think, how have they done this without their ace, Justin Verlander, without the reigning, defending, undisputed AL Rookie of the Year, Jordan Alvarez, without Garrett Cole, who went to the New York Yankees. Enjoy that no ring there, pal. And now they're just one went away from doing something they hadn't that only been done once and that was 16 years ago today i saw a video this morning this is the first time since 2004 when the red sox broke the curse of the bambino and came back from down three love to defeat the evil empire that is the new york yankees the true heels the original heels of the sports world and they beat them i hope the astros win tonight because to me They deserve it. Carlos Correa has injected all kinds of energy. I mentioned it earlier. He is Mr. October. Then, now, Reggie Jackson can have it in all the other 49 states, or 48, I should say, Texas and Louisiana. In my book, he is Mr. October now, is what he's able to do. They've had to deal with so much BS from the fans, the players, the media. Obviously not this media person, but a lot of national people. Had to deal with them crying, complaining, pissing, moaning about all the stuff going on with the MLB and the fact that the Astros weren't punished. They were punished plenty. You got rid of draft picks. You get, they had to get rid of their GM and their coach. That was plenty enough. And honestly, at this point, it's a lot like um, Phelps in Major League where she just wanted to get rid of the team altogether. The Astros should just go Major League and win the whole bleeping thing. So gear up, ladies and gentlemen, because you're looking at history in the making. And the Astros are going to rub this in each and every one of the of the Astros hater nation faces that they won one and didn't need to cheat. And I'll end with this from the late, great Eddie Guerrero and also Jesse the Body Ventura. The former governor of Minnesota. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. And win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. That's how true heels do it. And I love the fact that the Astros right here, right now, are embracing the heel gimmick to a T. And now we sit here on the precipice of winning another ALCS and getting that much closer to holding up. What Rob Manfred said at the beginning of the year was a piece of metal. So consider this a spoiler. The Astros are winning the World Series again. And there ain't a damn thing you can do about it. I cannot wait to just laugh and laugh and laugh at the soft people out there that want to cry and complain about the fact that the Astros... Oh, they cheated. Oh, they cheated. Tough. We won that World Series, and we're going to win another one. Maybe the last one for a while, but trust me, we're going to be rubbing that in your face for a long time, baby. 
That's what I got here for the Saturday sports sermon. Probably the most like amped up I've been for one. And consider the fact I was up to like one o'clock last night. Who boy? Somehow, some way, I've been able to kind of get through this morning. Hopefully, you're enjoying it. Coming to you live from the 1037 Game Studios. I appreciate you listening in. However, you're doing so, be it through that free 1037 Game mobile app, 1037game.com, smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, your smart house. However, you're listening to us, we appreciate the hell out of you. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we got Ross Jackson coming on at 12:30. But I want to get into the NFL. And give you my picks to click for this week in the NFL. We'll do that in just a little bit. Back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now back to the famous CD on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. 337-706-0111 is where you need to be if you want to talk to me. You only got a little bit more time left. So you got Ross Jackson, also one final take. But I've also I've got some picks to click for this week in the NFL. Week number five, it, it looks to be a really good one, all things considered, with everything we had to deal with last week. With games getting postponed, moved around, which worked out well for me, by the way. I'm going to bring this up. This is actually a really fun story. So, last week, I kind of had to make some really tough decisions with my fantasy football lineup last week. And it was a really fun ball game that I was just looking forward to and, and kind of wanted to see. I was I was so wanted to come away with a win because I was playing one of our friends also who works as a board out for the station, our guy Tyler. I was playing him this week, and this is like one. Of the, this is like one of the games. I was like, I have to win this week. I have to win this week. I have to set myself up for success. Then I have Christian McCaffrey on IR, Aaron Jones on a bye week, so I've got to kind of get somebody on a waiver or through free agency that's going to be halfway decent. I got Dave. I got David Johnson, who see wrapped the bed, who had only two points on the day. Now here's where the story gets interesting. I was only up by a handful of points before Will Lutz decided to do Will Lutz things and wound up winning NFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Thank you very much. 18 points. I racked up getting that cat on. But the only reason why I won was because I brought up the Patriots game. They were playing the Denver Broncos. That game got postponed like Sunday at like 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. I was playing Tyler, and he did not change his lineup. Now, honestly... I'm really glad he did because he could have, like, mollywopped me beyond, like, reproach. He's had Jonathan Taylor as his flex. He could have moved him up and started Claypool, who had probably one of the best games the Pittsburgh Steelers has had in a good while. 42 points on the board. He would have had that. I would have been mollywopped and lost again. Now I'm standing at 2-3, and three, right in the middle of the pack of the Under the Dome Fantasy League. Which, by the way, has been a lot of fun this year. It's been a, like, a lot more fun just because I'm not as, like, 
like die hard, just like, oh man, I need to win this entire league and just dominate every week. I think I'm doing okay. I just I just need to get a little bit more luck in my life when it comes to these kind of games. Because boy, oh boy, it's been like I've had some really like I'm frustrated losing some of these games. And it's it's like a lot of them are just very disappointing. But we'll we'll save that for later because now it's time to kind of look at what's going on with the league week numero cinco. Yep, week five. Saints are on week six. Excuse me, not week five. What am I talking about? Week six, and it's time to talk about they play for bet. Oh, you love to hear the music, Dick. You love to hear the music. We start off with the Houston Texans taking on the Tennessee Titans. Those Titans, three-and-a-half-point favorites. They looked really good on Tuesday Night Football. Weird statement to make. Longtime NFL head coach Romeo Crennel, or should I say just journeyman. It's crazy thing he's been in the coaching business since 1970. And he got the Texans their first win of the season as the interim head coach after Bill O'Brien was finally given the old Vince McMahon. Yeah! Give me the Titans, who are just on an absolute tear, and rip the Bills a new one just three days ago. Short rest, but the Titans didn't practice for the Bills, and he still won 42-16, to so give me them getting the win over the Houston Texans. And the big question is, is now Ryan Tannehill considered elite? And that's, a different, that's a question I'm not quite sure I can answer. Baltimore Ravens taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Ravens 10-point favorites in the contest. Sounds about right when it comes to the spread. I think the Ravens do win big. Probably by, I'd say 17 is where I'm kind of putting that at. I think they're going to win by 17 in that contest as we are in week numero seis. It's so weird to think about the fact that it's not like week. I wrote week five in the show notes. That's what happened. Detroit Lions taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Lions currently three-point favorites in this contest. Taking on Duval, who has been doo-doo for much of the year. But again, the Lions haven't been much better. I got to go with, and it, it's fun to think about the fact that like last week, I did pretty decently with my week five picks. I said a Bears-Bucks. Thanks a lot, Tom Brady, not knowing what the hell you're doing. But I've got to go with the Detroit Lions getting the win here. I think the Jags do cover, though. I can't believe I didn't. Somebody didn't pick these games. Go figure. That probably didn't hit save on them. By the way, I'm talking the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge. So get your picks in while you can fit them in. I'll go with the Titans beating the Texans here. And then we're going to go Eagles. Ravens beating the Eagles. Lions beating the Jaguars. But I do think the Jags do get a cover here. So I get I take them to cover the, the three point spread. Washington football team taking on the New York Giants. The Giants two and a half point favorites. This is a team that could not beat a Dallas Cowboys team without Dak Prescott. So I think the Washington football team does get the win here. Chicago Bears, Carolina Panthers, a virtual pick 'em. I, I hate to say it, because I think this team is riding a huge wave of momentum, and that is. The Carolina Panthers, sharp teeth and claws, and they're going to get a win over the Bears, who I think are overrated, and I think they are like Emperor 
like with Emperor has no clothes. They're very much a wolf in sheep's clothing. Do not think that about a lot of teams. The Denver Broncos taking on those New England Patriots. Cam Newton supposedly going to be back taking on the Broncos, who just cannot get out of their own way. In fact, one of their coaches recently tested positive for COVID-19. This news kind of came out over the last hour or so. I'm going to try and get his name before the break. But i got to go with the New England Pages. They're currently nine-point favorites in the contest. Give me that. I'm going to pull this up right now. Okay, what do you know? They actually don't have... I thought maybe we would have got some notifications about that, but I was too busy talking about Nick Saban testing negative, and he'll be coaching today. But again, anyways, New York Jets, Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins whopping nine and a half point favorites. I got the Jets covering, but the Dolphins get the win way too easy for that one. Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Buccos. What hell of a contest. A virtual pick em there. Give me those. Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting the loss. I'd be, I think they'll cover that that line. Well, mind just a virtual pick em, but I think i got to go with the Green Bay Packers getting the win here in a very competitive ball game. Sunday Night Football, Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco 49ers. Give me the Los Angeles Rams getting the win. Monday Night Football, the Kansas City Chiefs. It seems like they're the Monday Night Delight. As of late, taking on the Buffalo Bills. Give me the Chiefs getting the win here, but the Bills do cover in that contest. Go ahead and pull up a couple more odds because I think I forgot a couple games, including. Okay, here we go. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Indianapolis Colts. Colts, seven and a half point favorites. I got to go with the Bengals covering here on that with that spread, but Colts do get the win. They win, but but the Bengals do cover for that contest. Then we get to Pittsburgh versus Cleveland, probably one of the most intriguing matchups of the week. They got like four soups, I think, from from a Sheldon Cooper of Sports Radio. I don't know what that means at all. But I got to go with the Steelers here. They are 4-0, and they are trucking right now. It is amazing to see how much of a difference Ben Roethlisberger makes on this team. You knew that was coming, but my God, this has been on another level this year. And it comes probably the most controversial pick for me this week because everybody knows I'm not a huge fan of the guys who wear the black and red. I like the NWO Wolfpack, but I don't like the Atlanta Falcons for a lot of different reasons. But they're playing the Minnesota Vikings. 1-4 in the year. They have been absolutely god-awful. All season long. Where do I go with this one? It's a tough ball game to pick. It is absolutely a tough game to pick because I feel like both these teams just suck. Meanwhile, the Vikings are four-point favorites, according to Bavada, which is usually what I look at to see where the lines are and all that stuff. Oh, then you got the other Monday Night Football game, Cardinals-Cowboys. Give me the Cardinals getting the win there. Kind of forgot about that. But the Falcons-Vikings game, I got to go with the Falcons. Dan Quinn is gone. The The Wicked Witch of the West is finally gone from the Atlanta Falcons. The 28-3 cinch is no longer there. Now we sit here and say in 2020 that your boy, Matt Ryan, 
is going to get it done. Not for Dan Quinn, but in spite of him. Look what happened last week. Romeo Cornell. Romeo Cornell got a win in 2020. Bill O'Brien couldn't. Tell me that team wasn't motivated to get a win for Cornell to show, hey, the guy who was before him was a candy-ass piece of trash and needed to go. That's exactly what he was. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Coming up next, we're going to talk some New Orleans Saints with our guy Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. So make sure you keep it locked right here. And we're near the home stretch of things. Back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Shotgun snap, he drops back, he shuffles up, he launches a long pass near sideline. Camara bobbles it at the 20, he reels it in, and he's got the ball! Down to the 15, knocked out of bounds! What a catch by Camara! Are you kidding me? You know, at the end of the day, man, we're still growing. This is how you grow as a team, this is how you, you know, become battle-tested, and I think it pays dividends as you move along here. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday so far. We appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through the free mobile app, Amazon Echo, Google Home, however you're doing so. Appreciate you listening in. But now we go to the Twin Peaks hotline, 337-706-0111. Talk to our guy, Ross Jackson, the Locked on Saints podcast, and also the Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what's going on, brother? Hey, brother, doing very well, man. Glad to be here with you and uh, looking forward to a little bit of a stress-free weekend, right? Like, it's, it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of sort of stress-free weekend. Obviously, no LSU, no Cajuns, no no Saints, but also we got Game 7 tonight. If, if, for me, right. for me, that's going to be stressful because I'm like, I, yeah. I, I need the Astros to win here. Yeah, you got Game 7. I've got Game 6 tonight, right? And oh yeah, so, you're, you're, you know, we you're, both have your Doyers. That's right, Los Doyers. I'm, so you know, we've got we both got something here. But I have to tell you that, like, even as a Dodgers fan, I'm rooting for the Astros to make the World Series just so that they can kind of look back at everybody and say, "What's the big deal now?" You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, I'm so looking forward to that. I'm so looking forward to that for them. <laughs> oh no, that's exactly why I, I was like, I said it at the top of the hour. I was like, "There's this is the time where the Astros." can go full major league win the whole bleeping thing and pretty much give like the double birds like stone cold steve austin style yeah. to the entire like mlb fan base and just say hey what now yep it's gonna be i i love it i love it so if, if, if both these teams you know both our teams end up making it i will be happy with either result and if the astros make it a dodgers zone i will be very happy i'll be pulling for the astros right away i mean my god you you brought it up perfectly the Dodgers versus the Astros, a rematch of the World Series, would probably be like the saltiest World Series of all time. <laughs> For real. Everybody just showed up. They got their salt and vinegar chips ready to go. Like Everybody's ready. Everybody be ready in that series. But, yeah, I would, I'm, I'm all about that series for sure. That's the one that I'm pulling for. 
But, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see how these games turn out. We'll see how these games turn out over the next, I guess, a couple days potentially for the Dodgers and then tonight for the Astros. You can have your, your, your salt and vinegar chips. I'll be with my spicy Cajun craw tater zaps. Thank you very much. That's the greatest right there. That's, exactly. that's top tier. That's top tier, oh, like, yeah. greatness. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- thankfully we're not like other shows across some of the state that do them a tier list, because, my God, I'd probably get in some trouble with some, oh, of, my, that's right. some of my rankings. <laughs> but anyways, but anyways we'll, we'll get to some, maybe we'll get to some tier list later down the road. But mm-hmm. look at the Saints. They're sitting 3-2 and two, coming out of the bye week, and they got a big win in overtime over – a really good Los Angeles Chargers team. What do you say about the Saints standing at three and two headed into the bye week? Uh, so far, so good. I mean, you know, it's a team that's changing its direction, right? We we looked at them at the beginning of the year. There were a lot of question marks. There are still some question marks, but I think that some of those things end up getting answered once key pieces make it back to the team. Um, we've seen you know, a, a team that has overcome bad defensive play that has overcome uh, lack of discipline when it comes to penalties. In some cases, this has overcome the referees. Uh, but in, in other cases, the offense has sort of stood in the way of itself. But even in those games, they found ways to call themselves back and then get back into rhythm. Now, you want to see them do that without having to go 14 down, 17 down first, of course. But either way, uh, it was kind of like the the, uh, the pre-roll that you had that rolled before the segment about what what Drew Brees said to where this is where you become battle-tested, right? So he always talked about time on task, all those other things. You, you didn't really have that coming into the season. And even though this was a veteran roster, we watched this be a roster that struggled a little bit with communication, cohesion, familiarity, chemistry, all of that was kind of an issue, particularly over on the offensive side. Now as you move through this bye week and then you have this extra sort of time to get together and, and, and go through systems and go through changes and adjust, it sort of puts you in a really good position to have an expectation coming back up against the Carolina Panthers in Week 7 to be a more more of a cohesive unit, especially with getting pieces like Janoris Jenkins, Marcus Davenport, and Michael Thomas, of course, back. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, my Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. I think the next thing that I need to kind of get to is to go back like a week because we didn't get to talk to each other mm-hmm. last week because of Hurricane Delta and everything else going on because we actually right. weren't going to have like, – even if Hurricane Delta happened, well, actually, no, we would have had a show. But anyways, that's, that's beyond the point. We w- we didn't have a show last <laughs> Saturday. Didn't get to talk about the Lions win after they were down fourteen <clears> nothing <throat> early. We t- we're talking about coming back from like big deficits. What do you say about the fact that they started off the first quarter of the season two and two? We talked about the historical perspective with the Saints and how if they fall below five hundred, things look more likely than not seven and nine. How great is it? to think about the fact that this team got to 500 in the first quarter of the season considering how things looked after week two yeah that was a really big deal because you know the the difference there between your playoff percentage not even just within the history of the franchise but within the history of the nfl is vastly different at one and three than it is at two and two so i think it's it's somewhere between a a 30 to 40 percent margin in between those two so it's a really really big deal that they were able to tie it up 2-2 2-2 to get started out or, or to get to 500 uh, through the first quarter of the season. And, you know, I had picked them to drop one game per quarter of the season. And so ideally I'd like to see them, you know, win the next three games to keep on that track. But that might not be the case. And, and that's okay because if you look around the NFL, you look around the NFC, 
a 10-11 win season is going to get you into the playoffs, clearly. I mean, look at the entirety of the NFC East, for instance. Like, you're going to be fine in terms of getting into the playoffs with what a 2-2 two and two record projects as opposed to what a 1-3 and three record projects. So it puts them in a it put them in a, a much better position to be able to get to 500 by the end of that first quarter. And, you know, Ross, just let's look at the Michael Thomas of it all. He looked like he was going to play, and then all of a sudden, Sunday afternoon, you find out he's not going to play, and apparently he got a fight with him. Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I thought, all right, first of all, I thought they, they changed the name to C.D. Deuce. Why are we still calling him C.J. Gardner-Johnson? So the, the issue is that he hasn't legally changed his name, okay. and so – during training camp and everything like that it was it was easy to remember to remark him as CD Deuce, but because he hasn't legally changed his name, he can't change his uniform. Gotcha. And so his name on his uniform and his roster is and the roster is still CJ Gardner Johnson. Okay, it makes sense. But anyways, going back to the Michael Thomas situation, him getting in a fight, is this gonna be like trouble ahead? You pay Michael Thomas all this money and now all of a sudden has it kind of gone to his head to where maybe you've got a total diva in that locker room now? No, I don't really. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it could have been, but the difference between, let's say, we look at the Randy Mosses of the world, the the Tios of the world, the other wide receivers out there who have carried that tag, even Odell Beckham Jr. For, to an extent, you look at the people that have carried that tag, and what they all lacked was organizational discipline. The Saints stepped in immediately. They didn't officially suspend him, is my understanding, because they didn't want to mess with his guaranteed money and, and all this other stuff. But they find him and then they benched him for the game. So there was some some discipline there from the organization saying that this this behavior is unacceptable. This is not the tone that we will set. And they essentially sent the message not to the team, but sent the message to Michael Thomas saying, "You can't go down this route. This is a road that you will not go down within this organization." And I think that that's the thing that makes a big difference in this situation as opposed to maybe some of the other situations that we might be willing to compare this to is that the organization stepped in and did what they had to do. And then now you've heard from Drew, uh, Drew Brees, you've heard from Malcolm Jenkins, these players that are saying that it's something that has been handled and everybody's expecting to move forward. We saw, you know, Michael Thomas uh, kind of interview bomb uh, <laughs> Cam Jordan yesterday, uh, smiling and having fun and talking about how he's coming back next week and all of those stuff. So I think that at this point, the team and I would imagine the players are ready to move past this as something that took place that was unfortunate, but that is now handled and over. Do you think that video bomb was pre-planned? I don't know. I thought about that, too. It's interesting that you asked that. But I, I thought about that, too. and uh, Maybe maybe it was premeditated by him because he knew where Cam was, and he was like, okay, I'm going to go and do this. But it, it was something that I felt like um, definitely answered a lot of questions, right? Because you saw a sort of jovial nature between the two players and Cam, of course, as a leader, of that team, even over on the defensive unit, but still a leader with that team. And one of the things that uh, Drew Brees said about the situation was that Drew and other leaders on the team spoke with Michael Thomas and everybody seems to be in a good place and, and things like that. And so I think that it could have been, and if so, I think it was quite, it was, you know, an effective idea. Talk Grinnell with Ross Jackson and Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And just looking at the way the Saints are as they go into the bye week and next week's going to be that mm-hmm. big, Carolina Panthers game, be it at the Superdome or at Tiger Stadium. We'll get to that in a minute. But looking ahead towards this Carolina Panthers matchup, where do you think the Saints need to improve the most in this bye week? Uh, secondary. Uh, that's going to be the big one is communication amongst the secondary. You see, you've seen a lot of 
it's interesting because you're seeing a lot of the same issues that we see almost every year when it comes to the same secondary. And that wasn't supposed to be the case because you added pieces like Malcolm Jenkins and Janoris Jenkins, who, yes, has missed the last couple of games. So that's worth noting. But, you know, it, it's been something that has been a consistent issue for this unit on this team. So I think that it's either a conversation of simplifying how the system is being taught by the coaches or simply simplifying the system. Um, as well, which I don't think that any coach is going to be as willing to do as maybe a fan might say that they are. But simplifying the way that a system is taught is proven effective. That's what happened in 2018, 2017, when they were dealing with rookies in, in your know, rookies and second year guys. So they simplified the way that they were teaching the system. And so you're seeing a lot of things in the secondary to where there's communication issues, uh, issues with lapses in concentration, passing uh, players off from one zone to another when in zone struggling in you know, some technique and fundamental issues. So they're all things that are fixable in that they're diagnosable. And so I think that that's kind of the biggest place where you're going to see them uh, try to improve over the, course of this, uh, over the course of this bye week. That would be over the defense on offense. It's just about rebuilding chemistry with Michael Thomas in, in the, the lineup and figuring out how all these other players who have stepped up since still fit within this offense and how they can maximize the weapons they have. All right, Ross. Let's get let's get to the brass tacks here. I think the biggest headline that's been popping up all over the last few days is what's going on with the Latoya Cantrell still not allowing fans inside the Mercedes Benz Superdome, and possibly having Saints games at Tiger Stadium. Possibly Joe mm-hmm. Brady could be back in Tiger Stadium this time next week. The question is, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting. I, I can't it, – it's so funny that, you know, you, you get into sports to cover sports, and then sometimes there's these overlaps that take you into other things. And never did I expect that I would be covering local government. <laughs> That's just not something yeah. that I ever, like, brace myself for. But now you have, like, Mayor Latoya Cantrell's Twitter account and the New Orleans Saints official Twitter account going at each other's necks and, like, subtweeting each other and all this. Is that. So it's kind of a wild situation. But here's what I'll say. Um if the Saints decide that they want to move some of those games to Baton Rouge, I don't know if they can move the Week 7 game. I don't know if it's something – I don't know if there's anything but logistics in terms of time for turnover and things like that. But, you know, perhaps they would move the next home games after that. We'll see what happens there. But it would be really interesting to see Joe Brady back in Tiger Stadium calling against the New Orleans Saints. That would be a really interesting storyline for sure. So we'll see what happens there. But I'm I'm interested to see if – there is some other solution that ends up coming up from all of this to where both of these, the team and the, or the organization and the local government, instead of sort of trying to beat one another, finally comes to one another and sort of compromises because there's Yulman Stadium and then there are other stadiums that are around the greater New Orleans area that are open air that they could put 10, 15, even 8,000 if they wanted to start smaller people there to just give some semblance and some, I'll say some semblance of normalcy. So I'm curious to see if there's any other kind of uh, uh, or compromise that comes up that maybe keeps some of that money in New Orleans. But if not, it seems like it might be likely that the Saints would travel to Baton Rouge to play in Death Valley. And i got to be honest with you, I'm not really mad at that. I mean, I, I understand what it is that they want to do, and we've seen that the protocols have worked effectively across the NFL for open-air stadiums, so they're not doing anything that hasn't, hasn't not worked or hasn't been, has been proven dangerous. And so, you know, if that's what they have to do, then I think that that might be the next step for them unless they can come up with some other compromise. Exactly. And hopefully, you know, if they do play at Tiger Stadium, they can improve their record. 0-4 at Tiger Stadium back in 2005, a season I think right. all of us just want to have, like, men in black wiped away from our memory banks. 
<laughs> Agent K, please come through. I need your help. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you want to see them improve on that. And, you know, the, the Carolina Panthers game in and of itself, I've always pointed at as the game that I think we're going to see the pettiest Sean Payton so far in the season because you're coming off the bye week where he's fared very well last year, of course, excluded. But he's fared very well. He's been one of the best coaches, and the Saints have been one of the best teams coming off of the bye week. And then he's playing against a system offensively that he knows very well because it's essentially his system. It's a Sean Payton Jr. system that they're operating in Carolina. And they're going up against a quarterback that they're familiar with in a defense that no longer has its leader, has a very good pass rush. But outside of that, it's very weak at the second level, very weak at the secondary, which we've seen the Saints fare well against so far this season over on the offensive side. So I've expected this Week 7 game to be kind of the petty Payton game. Uh, turns out that it was Week 1, but I'm curious to see if what kind of uh, what kind of performance we get out of the Saints Week 7 here. I'm looking forward to that one. But before I let you go, we, we talked about Michael Thomas and his fighting. I saw this pop up on my feed a little bit earlier today before I went on air. And it was basically like they were making fun of like the Saints fan, basically the Michael Thomas Fight Club. And it makes me wonder, like, we, we talked about Saints players that would fit as pro wrestlers, but let's put them inside a boxing ring. Who do you think would wind up like working Ooh. really well? Like, How do you think Michael Thomas would fare 12 rounds at a boxing ring? I guess it depends on who he's boxing, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if if he's boxing Mike Tyson, then he's. he's but I mean, you're bo- you're boxing in your own you know, in your in your own weight class, though, right? Oh, uh, right. Of course, of course, of course. So yeah. then I would say that I don't. The thing about Mike, the thing about Mike is that you have to think. I'm sorry about Michael Thomas. Is that you have to think about the the work and preparation that he puts in. He's a he's a ruthless competitor, but he's also he puts so much into his preparation and he works super hard. I think that he could go like up against a professional boxer, and this is this is a compliment, honestly. I think that he can get into six to eight rounds, and that's not bad for a guy that's maybe never stepped in a boxing ring before, but I think his level of preparation, his skill, and his awareness, I think those are all things that might be able to keep him hanging around for a little bit. I think he'd do really well in a boxing ring. It's just, I think it's the fact that he's got he's got a decent reach. I mean, 32 and a half, 32 and an eighth, really excuse me, in arm length. So you can about imagine that's going to be huge for like his weight class. I mean, I'm, I'm just going off of a mock draftable. It's 212 pounds, 6'3", the measurements that he has. So you can about imagine mm-hmm. he'd be able to fit well in that kind of, I'd say, light heavyweight division I think he'd be in. Because obviously it's not heavyweight. Uh-huh. He'd be like more of a, a right. light heavyweight division. And I think he'd fit well in that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and particularly the reach conversation, I think, is a really good one. That point's a really good one because I think that would make a big difference for him just in terms of being able to – he can strike from further away than maybe some of those other guys can, and that will certainly help keep him around a little bit longer and hanging around. So maybe he's one of those guys that takes it down to decision. You know what I mean? Maybe he's yeah. not a knockout guy. He's just a guy that I'll last you. As long as he doesn't fight like Floyd Mather, we're good. But, Ross, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on, my man. We'll talk to you next week heading into that big game against Carolina. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Y'all stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon, man. Always a pleasure. All right, All right Ross. Take it easy. That was Ross Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ross Jackson Nola. And we got to take a quick time. I'll be back with a whole lot more. Well, just a little bit more with one last take coming up next on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, The famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. My one final take kind of has to do with, you know, a lot of just 
frustrations that I have with what's going on in the NFL right now. Or I should say the people who are hating on the NFL and the fact that they want, they're like, cancel the season, shut it down, it's all over. No, like, they are handling this thing with a plum right now. I mentioned on Ben Show yesterday, if I were to rank how all three leagues handled it, I think the NBA handled it the best. They've handled this situation the best. The pandemic, they've handled it extremely well. Because of the fact you have no positive tests in three months inside of a bubble. Yes, it was a bubble, but they handled that really well. The MLB's handled it fairly well. They're second ranked. The NFL's handled it well now. Let's see how they handle it further down the road. Because you're still only, what, five, six weeks into the season? Call me when you get further down the road. And then I'll be able to tell you how the NFL's doing. I got some flack about that. The fact I was saying that the league hasn't necessarily been able to... Hasn't handled this with a plum. I think they've handled this really well. So hopefully they can continue to handle this well. Because once you get to November, December, that's when the real conversation gets started. But that's about all I got here for me today. But I'm about to get out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Under the Dome with CD in the books. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition. We got Astros baseball coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. Pre-game 7, first pitch 737. That'll be right here on 1037 Game Lance for Colors. Charlie Morton, former teammates, part of the ALCS winning Houston Astros, part of the World Series winning Houston Astros. And it was both of those game sevens squaring off. You couldn't have written this script any better. And tonight, we get to see the Astros maybe make the World Series for a second straight year. Peace out, everybody. Talk to you later. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it. We are Acadiana's sports station. This is KLWB. Karen Crow, Lafayette, 103.7 The Game, a Delta Media Station. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avvo, a retirement coach. 